This is Candlelands Media. there. Welcome to the third episode of the Folk Horror Podcast, in which we once and for all set a light to the Wicker Man and burn it to the ground. It's time to reveal the identity of the mystery commentator on my blog. The real Kev P is actually my brother Carl, and I expect that he is going to help us out continually um, doing some fact-checking for us, so stay tuned for more information from him. On the last episode, he had this to say about our discussion of the Wicker Man. It's kind of a lengthy, it's kind of a lengthy uh, discussion here. But he says, "I rewatched the Maypole scene on YouTube, and he's not sure that the dance strictly involves pelvic thrusts. He thinks that they're just kind of uh, thrusting their knees back and forth." He does remember, though, we both of us saw a uh, Christmas panto with Sylvester McCoy, uh, Doctor Who number seven. And there was he was showing the kids how to do the time warp on stage, which, of course, includes pelvic thrusts. So he also speculates that maybe the pelvic thrust dance isn't necessarily uh, sexualized um, if you're doing it as a kid. Um, Also, so he comments on Mike felt that the reincarnation theme came from Eastern religions but belief in the transmigration of the soul was known in some places in pre-Christian Europe, and some Greeks believed in it, including the well-known philosopher Pythagoras, and the Celts believed in it, according to what Roman writers reported. And some think that uh, a belief in reincarnation was widespread among cultures that spoke Indo-European languages, which would tie it in, of course, with Hinduism. He goes on to say that he feels like Mike and I, uh, in this podcast and the last one, are trying to draw a clear line between pagan and Judeo-Christian. And he says, I don't believe that such a line can be drawn. While Christianity came to Britain, the British already had agriculture for thousands of years. Their whole lifestyle was focused around customs to ensure good harvests. Some of these customs we now know had good scientific basis, while others were superstitions. But of course, in those days, the people wouldn't have known which was which. When Christianity arrived, the missionaries, of course, couldn't tell the people to stop doing what they needed to do to keep their farms going, so almost all of these customs survived. Also, some of Britain's agricultural customs very likely developed after Christianity arrived. The Christian church in Britain had to become a part of the landscape. You can still find it, if you uh, visit old villages in Britain, that the churchyard will have a sacred well or a sacred oak tree that has been there longer than the church itself. So he also goes on to say, well before Christianity came to Britain, it had begun picking up elements of other religions. The Christians had drifted away from the Jewish belief that God is one, and were instead teaching that God is three. God consisted of three distinct deities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit. They had also raised Jesus' mother to the level of a deity they called by many titles, such as Mother of God. And then there's a huge host of lesser deities, angels, and saints. Additionally, Christians had started celebrating the birth of Jesus in a holiday a few years, a few days after the winter solstice that was called Christmas. None of this stuff is in the Christian Bible, but these elements have that seem to have come from non-Christian religions ended up becoming very central and important parts of medieval Christianity. And he says, even if you study the early history of Judaism, you find that in its earliest days, Judaism wasn't very different from the other religions practiced in that part of the world at the time. And it wasn't much later, during the Protestant Reformation, that some folks started trying to draw a line between what was Christian and what was pagan. This was the concern of the more extreme Protestant groups. In Britain, the most prominent of these was the Puritans. The Puritans tried to eliminate anything they considered pagan, even going and whitewashing the artwork in the old Christian churches. But before the Puritans, nobody in Britain seemed to worry much about what was Christian and what was pagan. So that's really interesting. And that kind of explains today why, um, how um, older traditions are just sort of incorporated as daily, daily uh, life uh, in festivals, such as the Green Man Festival and, and Hastings or other festivals. Uh, we are using, 
we definitely, Mike and I use the word pagan to mean anything um, non-Christian, anything older than, or non-Christian or non-Judeo-Christian or, you know, uh, not Buddhist or Hindu or, or Islamic. So the definition of pagan that I just pulled up from the internet is a person holding religious beliefs other than those of the main world religions. So it's pretty much a catch-all for anything non-mainstream, though I can see how fuzzy it can get when you just try to pick out what is or is not uh, authentically Christian from that which is not. Carl also says, you talked about people turning into hares. It was a common belief in Britain that witches could turn into hares. And then he poses the following thought experiment, which is, if they redubbed Britt Eklund's speaking roles with a different actress and her singing voice with another actress and replaced her body in many shots with a still third actress, can we honestly say that Britt Eklund was really in the movie? That's like the ship of Theseus paradox. Thank you, Carl, for the feedback. Continue to help us out with that. Anything anybody wants to do when they hear something incorrect or something they'd like to talk about, go ahead and either email me at neil at candleends.com or you can comment on the blog, uh, boojumpudding.blogspot.com. In full horror news, as usual, there are interesting events going on in England that I am very jealous of. On May 22nd, there is Sing Along a Wicker Man going on in Brighton, England. On May 28th, there is a talk on folk horror film as British reenchantment at Treadwell's Books in London. And as I mentioned before, there's the official folk horror revival event, Witch Cults, in Newcastle on July 14th, featuring films, lectures, and music. So Mike and I are here finishing up our discussion about The Wicker Man, our, the third part of our three-part discussion. And I, th I think what I'm coming to realize is I wasn't sure exactly what the format would be of this podcast, but it's clear that Mike and I really like to deep dive on these things. And Wicker Man, of course, has been talked about a lot, but I think it'll be it's what's going to be fun for me and for Mike is when we start looking at lesser-known works, but still giving it that deep dive... And if you want to follow along with us, upcoming episodes are us discussing Robin Redbreast, which is on YouTube. Um, it was a play for today. And Redshift is harder to find. That's the other one we're going to be doing, and that's another play for today. But it is available from the B BFI, as is Robin Redbreast. So definitely support them. They have some great things coming out. Follow them on Facebook, at least. They have great clips of all, all their upcoming releases, and a lot of it is very relevant to us who uh, like this folk horror subgenre. I will probably be taking a little break before publishing any more episodes now that we've wrapped up The Wicker Man. I have some other things I want to do, work on the website, the online store, get things looking a little nicer. So I, I'm going to wait a little bit before publishing any more episodes, maybe a week or two. Now, here is our discussion. As I mentioned, Mike and I talking about The Wicker Man and I'm not going to interrupt it this week with some sort of faux ad. We're just going to talk, and then we're going to be done talking, and I'll give you some contact information at the end. But enjoy, and um, beware the wicker man, I guess. Is is the idea then that after he's decided he can't escape, that he's like, well, then I have to find Rowan Morrison immediately and and try yeah. to save her. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, he realizes Rowan isn't dead, and and so yeah. And then after the attempt to escape, he feels driven to do it himself again. You know, that kind of individualistic, you know, pull yourself up, get it done kind of notion. And that's where he um, is. That where he kind of t tears the counterpart oh well before he even starts doing that uh there's some really eerie shots of the empty streets of the town and you see the hobby horse right the hobby horse is kind of leading him and, and every time you look the hobby horse is disappearing just around a corner yeah and so he's kind of following it and so for some strange reason these scenes reminded me of hp lovecraft and um the shadow over Innsmouth and dagon like there were some scenes in those stories of the empty streets of the town where everybody has gone to the ritual and the streets, oh, the streets yeah. are completely, yeah. And there's one outsider who's in the town 
And he's kind of, I think he's also maybe following a shadowy figure through the streets and uh, just have the same kind of eerie, empty town quality to it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it, also the movie of Dagon that was made that was kind of Shadow over Innsmouth where right. it is very, it's very stories. similar. Yeah. I mean, it's an aquatic group of people that live on the shore with their mm-hmm. own ancient religion Right. Um, it's it's very similar. Transmute yeah. transmutation is definitely happening. Yeah. I mean, it's actual pure just mutation. Actually, and but... they probably sacrifice something to their to the sea god or something. I think there is. A, I think there is a sacrifice there. Yeah. I mean, if I want to say, I'd have to revisit that story. I think. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people look down a little bit on that story for whatever reason because it's a little pulpy, I guess. But yeah, that was always as a kid. That was always one of my favorite ones. Yeah. So this is, is this the start of the, no, first he tears the town apart. Yep. There's a Uh, scene where the girl falls out of the closet. Right, right, right. Faking, pretending to be a corpse, right? Yeah. And that, that's kind of another little piece to lead him along. I mean, they're kind of having, having a joke on him at this point. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And he is actually already playing the fool, even though he's not even wearing the outfit. I mean, they are. They are leading him along. They're kind of having fun at his expense and teasing him and et cetera. And so he is the fool. And maybe he was from the very beginning. And the, I, I guess I could bring a personal story into the, into this now too, because so this procession, the, the May Day Carnival, um, I, I just experienced one of those recently. So I think I told you this, but I was yeah. in, we were in Chile. And we were in this town called Puerto Varas, which is on a lake, which is kind of an isolated town, just a little bit. And also, you know, has some has some kind of ancient traditions in this town or old traditions. And one of their traditional festivals is the Carnival del Sur, the Carnival of the South. And it's where all the children in the town dress up like animals in in mask, animal masks. And there's orchestras playing through the streets and they actually lead you. They go on a procession through the streets of this town. And it ends at this park, this park, uh, Felipe, where Janine and I saw the procession. And we, it was great because we were the only Western or the only Americans or foreigners who were there. And the park was closed for this festival, but we, uh, we just kind of gave a nice tip to one of the guards and he actually let us in. In other words, we bribed him <laughs> and, and he let us in. And so we got to see part of this, this festival. It was really, really cool. The animal masks were so creative. Oh, could, uh, there was. Could I put yeah. some of the pictures that? Yes. You, could I put those up sure. too? Oh, okay. Yeah, because cool. they'll fit right in. I mean, they'll definitely like. You'll look at them and go, maybe this is from the Wicker Man. They actually are from Puerto Varas, and yeah, they're they're really neat, and and it was full of music. And I, I read later on, I went to the website, and I read that what the website said is Carnival del Sur is the result of a formative artistic cultural process that seeks to enrich and disseminate the performing arts in the Lake District region. This multidisciplinary event developed by the artistic and local community invites us to marvel at the identity of our area and of our past through the expressive masks, costumes, music, dance, and theater staged during the four days of the fiesta. Oh, that's great. So it's like, yeah, it's like, wow, that's fits right in. So yeah, we did, it wasn't eerie at all, nor did I ever feel like I was going to be sacrificed at any point. So that's good, but, but it was fun. It was great. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So I thought of that while watching this for the third time. And, you know, the, the choreography you mentioned earlier, they're, they're doing some of that during this procession scene, right? The, um, dancing. And they shout out, hail the queen of the May. And there, there's also the reference to Nuwada at this point as well, right? Right. right. King of the sun. And they reference something else that I couldn't make out. Evelyn No or Evelyn No. The, yeah. The goddess of the orchards, right? Is that what you're yeah. referring to? Yeah. I didn't catch yeah. the name either. I heard it sounded like Evelyn No, Evelyn No, something like that. So, if anybody's out out there knows what that is, let us know. I'm sure I could just Google Goddess of the Orchard too. Yeah. So you mentioned the uh, the bread that gets sacrificed in in a manner or in a uh, kind of um, metaphoric way, and then the kids with masks the searching the houses. So at this point too, we hear a nursery rhyme on the soundtrack. Ba ba black sheep is played. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yes. The name please. of the goddess was Avelena. A V E L L E N A U. Okay. Avelena. 
I thought he actually said Nuada was the queen of the sun too, and I'm, I'm, I kind of second guess myself because when I looked it up, it's it talked about him being a king. Yeah, I kind of feel like a, I feel like she's, he said that too, but I'm not sure now. Well, they're changing some of this stuff. I mean, no doubt about it. They're yeah. uh, adapting flexibly, adapting some of these myths, and more power to them, right, to do that. So, um, so yeah, there's the fake dead girl who falls out of the closet, and then Baba Black Sheep. I think that's when Baba Black Sheep is playing, which just shows that they're willing to use any source material for this soundtrack that has any roots in tradition, which yeah. I thought was cool. Yeah. Uh, he comes across Ingrid Pitt naked in a bathtub at, at this point. And so, and then my notes mentioned John Barleycorn, John Barleycorn, the quote, life of the field and the salmon of knowledge. So I'm not sure. Maybe he's get gone back to the inn at this point, or is he, no, how do they mention John Barleycorn? Do you remember? Oh boy. I, I, oh, he goes into a baker and there's okay. actually, it's a little bit weird, I think, because he's been running around all over the town and he actually takes a minute to talk to the baker. And sure. I think it's the baker maybe who's, since he talks to him for a while, maybe he's the one who's the salmon of knowledge. Yeah, I think you're right. Is he that right? And he talks about John yeah. Barleycorn and there's the big breads and things. Um, right, right. And yep, yep. And the salmon and he, of knowledge is from Irish mythology. Douglas Adams hmm. wrote a book called The Salmon of Doubt, which oh. I'm sure probably was somehow related to Salmon of Knowledge. Well, but sure, it's a it's a play on that. Yeah, yeah. interesting. And and so I I didn't know about that. That's interesting. Is there any connection of knowledge to a salmon? Oh, here we go. I'll tell you. Why don't I tell you? The salmon story <laughs> figures prominently in the boyhood deeds of Fionn, which recounts the early adventures of Fionn Mac Comhale. According to the story, an ordinary salmon ate nine hazelnuts that fell into the well of wisdom from nine hazel trees that surrounded the well. By this act, the <laughs> salmon gained all the world's knowledge. The first person <laughs> to eat of its flesh would in turn gain this knowledge. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you looked that up as we were recording. <laughs> and so <laughs> this, this hero uh, tries, to, tries, tries to capture it. So. Yes, okay. Right. Well, totally appropriate that that would be a character in this Mayday procession. Yeah. And, and John Barleycorn, who's not a character, is still mentioned in this piece. And, and, uh, you know, John Barleycorn, we should say it's the personification of the barley, right? Right. And, right. uh, and, and later on, there's a sacrifice of the ale where they, where they, um, where he takes the ale to a rocky beach and he breaks it open and he pours it out into the ocean. And I, I, I connected those two things when I saw that because, Remembered that John Barleycorn is also a sacrifice where they're using the scythe to chop down the barley and it's personified as a literal chopping down of the person, John Barleycorn. So there's a more sacrifice imagery there, more sacrifice connections and echoes. So here we go to a pre one of the coolest shots in the film, uh, coolest two shots of the film. And one of them is so quick that I actually didn't remember it at all. And so I'll see if you remember this, the corpse in the coffin with the coins on its eyes that's yeah, missing the hand? right, right. Super, super eerie image. And, you know, if you want a screenshot for the website, let's use that. Uh, and so immediately after that, we're introduced to the hand of glory. And so, so he goes back to the inn. And this is also where I think he got, he, he's really directly threatened for the first time by the innkeeper in the pub. And so for some reason, of course, he decides to go up and lay down in, in his yeah, bed. Yeah, that's I a guess. little weird. <laughs> Isn't it? It is. It is weird. I wonder oh, why I'll just go lay down. Taking a nap. Yeah. <laughs> like right in the heat of the moment, you just tore apart this town. You couldn't find Rowan. There's going to be a murder happening soon. Maybe he's storing his energy up for later. I don't know. Okay. So, but he does lay, whatever, he lays down and he's obviously not sleeping because he overhears things and you can see his eyes are open. So he's listening in and, you know, and this is where I got a little confused too, because the two people talking, right, it's Willow and the innkeeper, father and daughter, and they're, and they're plotting at this point. Uh, is it, is it the innkeeper and Willow? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they're doing the plotting. They're basically saying, we're going to, we're going to put him to sleep. And, uh, but they must be doing it for him to listen to them saying, well, this. of course. Yeah. Well, the reason I got confused though is like, so if they're doing it for him to listen, did that all, did the innkeeper also like offer up his head to be malleted or, or smacked with a candlestick? I mean, was that part of the plan? 
Yeah, yeah, I don't think they really worked it out that well, this part of the, of the plan, no. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And he'll come in here and he'll hit me on the head. Maybe they had maybe <laughs> they had a separate plan. Maybe the idea was to, no, because they wanted him to be dressed as the fool. I was going to say, like, to knock him out with the hand of glory and then put him in the worker man or something, but no. Right, but... The hand of glory was supposed to just put him to sleep. The hand of glory wouldn't. Yeah, oh, not come out. You mean? By yeah, just yeah. Just like, so he's asleep glory. or something. But yeah, it doesn't really yeah. make much sense, does it? No. No, no, it doesn't. Um, we. Oh, hand of glory. So the two shots that I think are among the most memorable in the film are that corpse with the coins on its eyes and the hand of glory itself, which that scene is. That shot has been used a lot, uh, showing the um, the fingertips like candles, which right. is kind of yes. strange. How would you? How would you like? How would you like fingertips like handles? But let's well, not ask. But apparently, that. it's a thing. I mean, it was a thing, though. It's, it's, I, I read that it's supposed to be a hanged man's hand, uh, and it's supposed to be the left hand, which is usually associated with evil. And sure enough, the hand missing on the corpse was the left hand. The thing I wondered about was was that guy hanged? The uh, the guy, the corpse in the in the coffin. It seems they got the hand from that corpse, but. If that guy was actually hanged, if the corpse, if the hand is supposed to come from a from a corpse of a hanged man, it just it gives an ominous backstory to before how he got to this village. They actually are hanging people at this village, so he gets kind of threatened in the pub. Then they attempt to to put him to sleep with the hand of glory, and he reverses and knocks out the the landlord. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting that they him. they use the shot of him like in some of the stills for promoting the movie. They use the shot of him hitting the landlord in the head with the. Uh, with mm-hmm. the candlestick or whatever. And I think yep. it's mostly right. because they just had to find actually like scary looking, you know, yeah. s- traditional right. horror looking scenes, you know, where yes. it, it's really yeah. not a major part of the movie, but yeah, exactly. I mean, they often do that with, with films. Like sometimes they'll actually use a scene that was actually never included in the film just because it's, you know, visceral or, right. or action or, or bloody or whatever. So, so after this, I think it goes right into the procession, right? Yeah. And we get more original music, or not original, more adapted traditional music here. So there's the procession, which is also choreographed. Interestingly, there's uh, the sword dance. Uh, well, which, um, before or, the sword I'm, dance, I'm because yeah. I think the sword dance is almost when they've gotten to the wicker man. But um, right. I, there's a lot of sort of funny stuff with um, him dressed as Punch, and that he's yes. not doing a very a very good job of it. Right. You know, right. and they're like, "What are you doing?" And there's a, a line I like that Christopher Lee says, "Use your bladder." <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to get him. Oh, done. he's basically berating him because he's not acting the fool enough. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, were you drinking your own your own booze from yeah. the?" Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and he and he starts acting like the fool, so it works, right? Right. He's, he makes they make him have to do it. That he has to act it out. Well, and the women start beating him with sticks too. At some oh, at one right. point. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think well, we should say that he's disguised as Punch or as the fool. In order to blend in, like this is his way, his idea of how he's going to infiltrate the procession. Uh, they think he's been knocked out. They are. Uh, they think he's the landlord. So he's he's uh, he's getting beaten by sticks, which reminded me of Punch and Judy. Actually, I thought that was kind of cool. By the way, I think Punch is an old. I think it's from an Italian. I think it's like Punchinello uh, or something yeah, originally. It's com- Commedia dell'arte, is it? Yeah, I think that's right. That, that's uh, its origins. Well, but it became very that, English. Yeah, yeah. So they're enacting this little drama with with the fool, and from here does it go to the sword dance? Yeah, I think then we then we do the sword dance, and that's the traditional dance with the. I, I don't how many men is it? I guess it's a six pointed star. So, right. And they have a really so, cool way yeah. of. I mean, I, I wondered if those guys were professional Morris dancers because. They had a really interesting way of how did they had to link arms to make that shape. You know what I mean? 
Right. Like you can't right. just so, stick your stick your sword in. You have to actually fold your arms the right way to to make it. And apparently, so it is some kind of weird uh, version of a Morris dance, right? Because yeah. it's I read that the um, oh here it is. So yeah, the, according to Robin Hardy, that it's based on the Morosco dance drama, the oldest in English history. And it's, uh, it has to do with the fool, the Betsy, or hobby horse, and the teaser. Huh. And that that Morosco dance was actually derived to become the Morris dance, which and, is, which is what they're doing apparently. What those swordsmen are doing is a Morris dance of sorts. And there was a theory that the Morris dancing, and that for a while I think Morris dancers had wore blackface, and I think that uh. that's I think it has something to do with though. I think this may have been discredited, so it might not be true, but that the Moors came in to Cornwall, uh, which is like, okay. you know, the f- fishing area. Yeah. It's where the pirates were and things. Yeah. And yeah. that they would do the dance, and then people picked up on that dance and called it, made up their own Moorish dance, and well, then it became Moorish yeah. dancing. And that it, it's weird because you think of it as an ancient English thing, but it may have been a not that ancient tradition sure. that was brought over from another country as well. Right. And when Robin Hardy refers to it as the Morosco dance drama, that's that's Moorish. That's what Moros, Morosco is. Oh, yeah. It's, so my, he yeah. might be. So whether that's true or not, but that that might be where where it's all come from. The, the cool thing about the sword dance is that it's like threatens them each with decapitation, and yeah. you know, and then ultimately they are they do decapitate one of the characters, and it's Holly. Oh. And she has a hare's head. Yes, she yeah. has a hare's head. Exactly. The sacrifice or is is enacted again and again in this film and here's another literal version of it and it, it it's interesting too because if you didn't know this movie was called the wicker man you could almost have had the movie end here where he puts his head in there and it's just snap and that's it and they just cut his head off you know what i mean yeah 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 i'm glad they didn't but i'm just no, saying and apparently apparently they did have a very abbreviated ending and they just decided to stretch it out apparently it was the procession was very much shorter on, oh. on page. Yeah. Yeah, it does but, feel really kind of drawn out at this point. But I mean, I, I love, I love it. Works. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because exactly. the music's so, there and everything. Yes. Yeah. Music, the dancing, everything works except one thing in my mind. And that's Christopher Lee cross dressing with a weird share wig on his head. <laughs> I, and the sneakers showing out under the, under the, the dress. The sneakers were odd. Yeah. I, I saw the sneakers yeah. too. And I was like, that, why is he wearing sneakers? But even the, you know, I understand the idea of him dressed as a woman. It's a subversion. It's like this, the priest is a male, female figure, yeah, apparently. Right. But it didn't look right <laughs> is, is, to me. Is there a word for that? Like an, a, uh, an androgynous magi? Is that, is that a, I feel mm. like that's a thing, mm. but a hermaphrodite uh, or something. Good point. A hermaphroditic. Well, in yeah. some cultures the hermaphrodite or the there's a third sex in some yeah, cultures right right uh, and it's and that third the third sex that third sex or third gender is usually a, somewhat of a sacred person they're usually treated reverently in some way and maybe as an oracle of some sort i want to say i don't know yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's he's definitely he's definitely rocking the long black bangs in this and yeah, he's got the makeup on, pancaked on his face. It just, it just looked a little off, and it's certainly maybe it's because it's Christopher Lee, and you know, he doesn't look frightening in this scene. Uh-huh. He looks comic a little bit. Right. So, the other thing I will say that's a little off, but I think actually adds to the eeriness of it is the continuity. Uh, so throughout the entire film, we're not aware of the fact that this film was actually made at like twenty-five different locations. Right. And then kind of spliced together. I mean, to get the, those town streets to look just right, to get the, you know, to to make it look like it was spring, whether it, rather than November, to kind of film the coast, to do the aerial shots, all that was necessary. But it's completely edited seamlessly, where you really don't feel taken out of the moment. But here, there's a few scenes of continuity that felt iffy to me, like where they cut from. The, the there's a nice little paved walk that they're doing the procession on above the sea and then all of a sudden they're on a rocky beach down yeah. by the sea and then later on when there's a, ch- a cave chase scene and all of a sudden he pops through a hole in the cave and he's on top of a cliff and you know maybe yeah. that was maybe that was effective to to be a little disorienting a little um geography was was being messed with as well i don't know 
Yeah, it means there's a whole part of the island that we hadn't really seen, or he would have seen the worker man and seen the caves and things. Because right. if he right. was really just be searching the whole island for this girl, he would have probably tried to find those caves and try to find it the other yeah. side of the island. And exactly, it's not that big of an island, right. supposedly. So. Yeah, so, but anyway, it, it still works. The continuity didn't bug me at all. It didn't take me out of the film, you know, and Christopher Lee was fine, too. I, you know, I think sneakers were a little questionable, that one, but, um, so, yeah, so the sword dance, get Holly gets, they call that a game of chance. She gets the kind of head chopped off, but then it's all fun and games. Nobody got hurt. And they say at this point, now for the more dreadful sacrifice for those who something the fruit of the earth. I can't read my notes, but... So this is moving to the big, the big sacrifice. And this is when Rowan is revealed, right? So there's the caves. And apparently those were filmed at a, a really cool cave that's known for a saint visited, made a visitation at these caves mm. off the coast of Scotland, which I thought was kind of wonderfully ironic that, um, yeah, is what these caves are known for. And we actually hear some rock guitar on the soundtrack, which was just a little bit, you know, are like, are you different. talking about the chase scene? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. it made me think that there should have been like a you know, like a wild, like a wild, wild pedal or something because <laughs> right. it was a classic right. chase. Yeah, chase it, but it was, but it was like that a little bit. It wasn't the the funk guitar, but right. but it was psychedelic guitar. Yeah, but but it works enough. I mean, it definitely moves the action along. And here's uh, where he, yeah, here's where he he punches. Oh yeah, yeah. That's right, because she's because Rowan is being held, and Rowan keeps pretending that she still wants to be freed right, he runs right. up and he punches and that's what made me think of wow that's that's actually one of the things that's in the new <laughs> wicker man is just him running around punch. and punching people in the in the face things that they borrowed and yeah. expected yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah he he thinks he's rescuing her he thinks he's escaping through this hole in the cave next thing you know he comes out the hole and guess who's there it's it's lord summer isle and willow and or and uh the teacher and all the townsfolk just waiting for him. And he basically makes his intentions very clear at this point. Welcome fool. You have come of your own free will again. You know, that's necessary for the sacrifice. Kind of reminded me of the vampire myth again. Yep. And he, yeah. And it, for me, this scene was also a little bit on the nose where Christopher Lee pretty much explains everything at this point. Right. I'll, 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 sp- I'll specify exactly also what else he says. He says, you come of your own free will with the power of a king, meaning that he's representing the law, uh, is a virgin and is dressed as a fool. Oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. So those are like the, the, the necessary prerequisites, right? Right, there. right. Yeah. And he also says that it's the game of the hunted leading the hunts, which was the whole film, right? Is right. The hunted leading the hunt. I thought that was well said. Um, nice, pithy explanation, even if it was a bit on the nose. Uh, and this is also the point where he talks about, like, uh, you know, animals would be fine, little children even better, but the right kind of adult is perfect. Yeah, it's weird that he said that in front of all the islanders, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he probably didn't mean it as far as the little child right, goes. Right, I see. I, yeah, theoretically, I just, yes. Yeah, theoretically, right, right. And then we get those iconic shots of all the villagers and the animal masks on the cliff. And, you know, if there is any one shot that people should kind of take in their heads of this film, I think yeah. it's probably that one. This is the part where Lord Summer Isle is giving the whole speech to him about what's going on. And you see yep. Paul Giovanni standing there in the in the crowd. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw him and he's just kind of looking on. And I thought that was a pretty cool screen capture. Just think about how yeah. much Paul Giovanni did with the movie. And then he's right. he's in there. He's part of the. Yeah. He's part, and he has this weird, like, real somber look on his face. Well, he looks somber throughout the movie, right. Paul Giovanni does. And, but. and he's, like, probably the only American there, right? Oh, that's true, yeah. So yeah, you could do a whole fan fiction about that character, like, that he's a, <laughs> a musician and he, he's stuck here and he just has to do music for the for the village. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would love that, actually. I'd get so much good music. There's also a cool shot of a guy playing what looks like an auto harp on a rock, but apparently it is an ancient Celtic harp. Okay. Um, you know, the tri- triangle shaped um, board with about seven strings on it. And it's kind of based on an old lyre. Uh, the sound is really cool. I, I love that. And that's pretty much as they're preparing him for the sacrifice. They've now, they've now grabbed a hold of him and there's some shouting back and forth, you know, like, uh, a man who has come here as a fool, like you said, and he responds, you are the fool, and 
and um he says that the villagers are going to turn on lord summer isle next year after this does oh so so i wanted to comment on that that what'd you think of that when he says that i I like that i mean it it really showed i mean you can totally see that that is what could happen yeah and and when they show show lord summer isle's face it might have just been me but it looked like he was a little worried and he was mad that the guy that that how he said that because then the villagers would be like, Oh yeah, I guess we might do that. If he <laughs> <laughs> gave us the idea. Well, it makes sense, right? You might turn on your leader at that point. Cause he's, he's failing you. And, um, you know, maybe a greater sacrifice is needed. Maybe there has to be more skin in the game, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah, he mentions next year and he basically, that's where I think he kind of turns the tables for a brief second where he threatens Lord Semerile. Um, and then he threatens all of the villagers. You shall all die accursed, <laughs> which, you know, which doesn't really phase them. Um, and, and also there's a lot of great quotes here. So I'm just reading some of them that I wrote. He says that, um, uh, a lot of great quotes from Howie at this point. So he says, fruit is not meant to be grown on this Island. It's against nature. And that again, made me think of the science fiction element of, you know, going against nature, uh, right in terms of shaping nature to your ends, kind of like Dr. Moreau did, or, you know, the grandfather economist plans to, or other, lots of other sci-fi horror films about mutated life forms that are created by, by people. So he says a lot of religious stuff. I think he's quoting from the Bible. He said, I believe in life eternal as promised to us by Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I think this is where, Christopher Lee is Lord Summer Isle responds, you'll get it. You'll get your life eternal. And isn't he no. then that he's anointed with that dye? There's and, a yellow and dye. That, right? And this is what I thought was interesting when we're talking about the uh, religious thing of him being sacrificed as a Christian is you have Ingrid Pitt, I think, and you have it's two of the women. I'm not sure which two it is. It might be Willow and Ingrid Pitt or something, but mm-hmm. they're right there on him, like kind of tending to him as before he gets in the Wicker Man. It totally reminded me sure. of like Mary and Mary Magdalene. You know, mm. tre- treating Jesus before he gets yeah, in the cross. Yeah, bathing the body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They even refer, I, I, while the guy's playing the uh, Celtic harp, they even refer to preparing the body. And yeah, yeah. Literally what they're doing is they're preparing his body. They put those yellow yellow dye. They they wash his hands, too, right? Yeah, I thought about, I even, I wondered about that. Like, why are they washing his hands? Well, that's direct connection to Mary washing Jesus. So, yeah, so he, they basically drag him to the Wicker Man, and we get our first sight when... Apparently, Edward uh, Woodward, uh, he gets his first sight of the Wicker Man at this point, the actor, actually. So apparently they also he hadn't learned his lines. They didn't give him his lines and they had to write the lines on bed sheets that they held up on the hillside. So he would be really, really in the moment, really actually reacting to the Wicker Man. And this is when the viewer gets the first glimpse of the Wicker Man. And it's it's impressive. I was blown away by it when I first saw it. And apparently they built three of them. The Seamus Flannery, the set designer, built three of them. Um, one that they could burn, one that they could use for close-up shots, and one that they used for these initial distance shots. Wow, amazing. Huh. Yeah, yeah, and it's based uh, on that the Wicker image that, uh, from 1676 that we can put the image up on the website. It's an actual image, and it looks very similar to, to what they what they created in this film. Even with the compartments for animals there, which they had in the Wicker image, too. Yeah, and those animals sounded really freaked out. I mean, you couldn't really tell if they were actually near the fire or not, but apparently yeah. there was some of that where he had to be in there while it was there was fire Yep. Um, yep. And smoke. I guess and... the villagers who came to watch on the sidelines, the actual villagers of, of that place while they were filming, thought they actually were going to burn the animals, uh-huh. apparently. Yeah, I hope they realistic. got them out. I mean, it, you did wonder if, if uh, this was the era where they didn't worry too much about. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. according to Robin Hardy, they did. They had okay. a cherry picker lift, I guess, that could lift them in and out. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I'll take his word for it, although I won't ask too many questions. My, my uh, dogs were getting really freaked out at this part of the movie. They they thought the whole movie <laughs> was really weird. They sometimes respond to like weird things like seeing animals on the screen or something like my one dog saw a horse on the screen the other day and just started barking like nuts at it. <laughs> so they thought this was a very weird movie. And although animal oh, sounds at the end. so Oh, sure. Yeah. And there's all the people in animal masks. Your yeah. dog probably didn't know what to make of that. No. Yeah. So there's a lot of cursing and shouting and Bible quoting at this point. And the one that I've, I've heard sampled over and over is when he goes, 
Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. Like <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a great, he puts a great trill on that. So then, um, yeah, he's, he's basically led up by, is it Oak? Is that the dude's name? Yeah, the big guy. Yep, takes him up there. We get this iconic image of Christopher Lee with his hair in a f- wild fringe that looks just like that image of the sun, uh, you know, that I think is purposeful. And we get a shot of the sun in a few seconds as the last shot of the film. And he's he's looking very romantic at this point and, and wild-maned. Uh, and this is the this is the climax. And so every so we haven't mentioned it yet, but the song during this whole procession is an ancient 13th century Celtic or pagan song. Right. It's the summer is a coming. Yeah. Summer is a coming in. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which is fitting, perfectly fitting here in this part. Um, and I've heard it referred to as being even older than 13th century. Um, uh, it's been adapted quite a bit. I love that it's juxtaposed with uh, Sergeant Howie reciting a psalm in the in the Wicker Man. So you get paganism and Christianity kind of mashed up. Yeah, he's one. reciting Psalm 23, like the Lord is my shepherd. Right, right. And then he shouts out for Daniel. And I, I had to go Google this because I, I didn't know why. Like, who's Daniel? And like, is that his fiance's name? <laughs> like, oh, hmm, he's like Daniel same, in the lion's den. Marriage. Yes. Yeah, that's what that's what I found out. And I was trying to figure out, was this did this have a metaphoric or allegorical meaning? Was this his patron saint that he's just it's a Christian Christian martyr? Okay. Okay. Is there any relation in the story of Daniel to what's happening? Well, yeah, I think I, I can't remember exactly what he says, but I mean, it's what happened with Daniel was he went in the lions. It was like Christians versus lions, you know, in the arena. And the mm-hmm. lions just kind of lay down. Okay. Hmm. So I think oh. he's hoping that's going to happen, that something yeah. that God's going to intervene. And sure. apparently there was a version of this that they were going to do where it was going to rain. They're going to have it rain, and then he'd be freed. Oh. Yeah. Oh wow. Which? Oh, is that the like the sanctioned ending that the I think studio that's what wanted, they wanted or? them. The studio wanted them to do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Sure. I. Yeah. I can see them. I can see this ending being controversial for the studio. But for if. Sure. If they did want to make it a horror movie, this is the horror movie ending. You know, it's not. This is the perfect horror movie ending. I mean, yeah. it's really the only thing that's a literal horror movie. I mean, I did mention earlier that, you know, that watching it the third time, okay, I can actually see how it's a horror movie now yeah. throughout. But this is where it gets real at the end. And it's it's also realistic, as you noted. I mean, it really does look like he's in there going to burn up, you know, with the animals. Yeah. Yeah. What what I was going to yeah. mention was um that this ending so I maybe I mentioned this before but this movie reminds me of that movie The Trip. Have you seen that movie The Trip? I've never actually seen the Roger Corman yeah. one. Yeah. yeah has, I think it's it. I think it's Jack is it Jack Nicholson in yeah, it? Yeah, Jack Nicholson and Bruce Dern I think. Yeah, it's well it's it's a real funky like fun for most of the movie it's fun because he's like on LSD and everything's going crazy and he's he's running around but Right at the end, so you're like, "Wow, this is amazing! This is crazy!" You look at it, look what's going on. But right at the end, like they do a still on his face, and it's like a cracked mirror. So you're like, clearly he's oh, gone cool. insane. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, like, burning. but up until then, it was fun, and it's almost right. as if, in order to make like, this movie where they showed how fun drugs were, they had to have that uh-huh. end bit where. Oh yeah, yeah. And so that's it's what re- for madness, right? Yeah. For ass- yeah, you, you, you can do all this thing where you can have a funky, uh, drug exploitation movie, but then at the end, you gotta yeah. be like, oh, but you shouldn't do this because it'll, it'll well, it's, break your brain. But and, that's what reminds yeah. me about this movie is that you, it's so like, you could see people just wanting to be like, sign me up. I wanna, I wanna go to this village. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna join up right. until the very end yeah. where then it's like, oh, but you wouldn't want to do this because secretly they are, they are all very, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So. Well, that's the thing we were talking about earlier, how, you know, that uh, this film came out at a certain time where probably a lot of hippies, you know, a lot of countercultural folks were like looking at this as a model to live. I mean, yeah. there was already a back to the earth movement. Donovan already had his island. Others tried to form utopias and various places in us and England and everywhere. And, and, you know, here was an appealing, you know, non Judeo Christian tradition to return to. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if it wasn't clear by now, yeah, by the ending, it's, this is where it becomes sinister. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, if you, if you watch it again at the second, third, fourth time, you notice hints of sinister things all throughout the film. Right. Uh, the nude figure in the cemetery, the, even the, well, things like, you know, the toad in the mouth, teaching kids about explicit sex and the, bo- and the body song in the tavern. Uh, it's all, Kind of has a little bit of a sinister undercurrent to it, watching it again. Yeah. Uh, but the ending is is just outright sinister, and and there's no escape for him. There is no false ending, a la another film or a you know. I was thinking of like Hitchcock's Psycho, which kind of they tacked on the studio made him tack on an ending to explain, you know. Oh, I didn't know uh, that was show. added on. Yeah. Yeah, he was forced. He was forced to add that on, and. Uh, also, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original one, they were forced to add on a happy ending where they basically conquer all the pod people, and uh, it's it's just clearly filmed at a different time in a different in a different state of mind. But thankfully, thankfully, they they did not do that here, and well, not thankfully for Howie, but he burns up, and then the final image of the film is the same sun it's well it's the shot of the sun which is how we started the film well hold on but before before that don't you see the you see the setting actual the actual setting sun right 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 exactly yeah 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 i meant to say that yeah you're right it's the actual burn like it's a full-on burning burning or setting on the horizon turning it a a glow turning it blood red really yeah evocative and then yeah and we get the after image and then the film's over. Roll credits. Yeah. Yeah, what a way to end. So, Is... do the crops come in? Aha. Uh-huh. What do you think? Unlike some other movies we might watch, there's no evidence for any sort of magical, any magic or anything in this world. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not blood on the sa- blood on Satan's claw, which no. is clearly supernatural stuff happening right uh, there is something interesting with just that there's flowers and tropical plants all over the island and yet the crops didn't come in you know what i mean like why are there still point. flowers yeah. and although that could have also just been an oversight because they they put all those fake flowers on those right. trees because it was actually right. november but yeah but no if they took the time to put them on the trees wouldn't they have thought through whether there was a harvest failure and wouldn't yeah. that affect the flowering plants too, not just the vegetable plants. Yeah. Interesting. That seems strange. Well, but yeah, I, I, I would yeah. say that there's a chance the cops, the crops will come in because it may well just be that it was a, um, crops often will just one, one year, there'll be a problem. And yeah. The crops won't come right. in. So exactly. And if it, and if it does come in, then of course they're going to ascribe it to the sacrifice. Right. That's what did it. But there is that moment where Lord Summerisle has a, kind of troubled look across his face right. just in case they don't come in. And yeah, it's, I mean, even if they don't sacrifice him, I think it, the gig might be up if it's two seasons in a row without crops. Yeah. And then there is the question of what's going to happen next. I mean, you can't kill a police right. officer and not have it be investigated. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes, but... exactly. <laughs> that, I, I thought about that too. I was like, you know, are they going to try to hide this? Just like they hid Rowan. I mean, yeah, they, the next they did such a good comes. job at hiding Rowan. Maybe they'd just be like, no, he didn't come here, you know, or. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, they'd have to figure out, they'd have to sink his plane, but which could be dredged up, you know, so there's, he's going to, there's going to be a trail. Right. But right. who knows? I mean, yeah, that's, that's interesting to think about. Oh, sure. no. All they need to do is take the plane out to the ocean mm. and just kind of let it sink and mm-hmm. then they'll just say oh he must have sunk off the coast yeah he didn't make it here yeah sure there we go we set it up that that would be relievable somewhat so the afterlife of this film yeah. in terms of its influence like we could probably have another converse like whole hour conversation about its influence but are there any obvious things that you that we should comment on uh, in terms of its afterlife and its influence 
either the film or the soundtrack itself or, or anything else. I, I do wonder if some neo-pagans found a lot of life in this movie and kind of decided to put together their own beliefs in the same way that they did in the movie, you know, that that might have been a yeah. a suggestion of how to live. That would be interesting. Yeah, I'd be I'd be curious to find out if anybody actually used this movie as a model. In, well, uh, in a a lot of all the pagans I met, they love this movie. You know, even with the dark ending. Yeah. As far as the influence in Afterlife, I would just I mean I already mentioned Kill List and Ben Wheatley. I would just mention one other film by him, which is A Field in England. Have you seen that one? Yeah. 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 I th- I feel like there's that one's certainly a little bit more surreal and psychedelic, and certainly there's psychedelic mushrooms involved in that one, but. <laughs> It's, um, I think it has a similar feel, even though it takes place at a different time. And, um, yeah, I think it's it does. also, a, it's a mind blowing film as well. And, I actually remember thinking that, uh, I think they'd asked Ben Wheatley about folk horror, particularly, I think it was in particularly in reference to Kill List. Okay. And he didn't like that very much. He didn't think that was a right. You know, he just was like, well, just because they wear masks at the end. or something like that Uh, it's kind of a big deal with the masks at the end and it's the same thing of of taking a person and getting them involved in a ritual i mean that's what the whole thing is it's a ritual to get him into the in in into the wicker man is that's part of it is you know he it's 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 a journey um Mm -hmm. and that's a kill list is that they're ritualistically in, yeah. in rolling, we shouldn't spoil too much because people should go see the movie. We'll, we'll talk about right. that movie later, but yeah, yeah, they're actually people watching that might be going like, "What are they talking about? This is nothing like The Wicker Man." Until they get to the end, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I think that pretty much sums up everything I wanted to bring up. And I'm looking at my notes. Yeah, that's it. That's okay. Everything. Okay. Cool. I guess we'll leave it there. Hey, thanks for listening to the Folk Horror Podcast. For screen captures, interesting links, and so forth, go to my blog, boojumpudding.blogspot.com. You can follow us on Facebook slash Candle Ends Media. You can follow Candle hyphen ends on Twitter. You can follow Mike on Twitter at happywanderer13 or Candle Ends Media on Instagram. Email us at neil at candleends.com. And until uh, next time... um, Stay folky, horror fans.